Okay, as you know, we have been on a journey over the last kind of couple of weeks already, speaking into end times understanding. Um, Daniel, if you could just put that first slide up, my bud, and we can uh, um, get going on that PowerPoint. Remember, the end times understood by knowing it's not when, but how, and not what, but why. And over the last weeks, we've been laying a foundation and going on this journey. And the reality and the reason is that, uh, yes, I agree. You, okay, rock and roll, that's fine. That's fine. Don't worry, it's, it's cool. Um, we're going on a journey. You'll see we are not hurrying this journey, okay? We're not trying to get to the next thing. We live in a world where there's too much information and too much knowledge. And we'll go through Daniel, it says, in the end times, knowledge will increase. We are in a time where you, people just want to take, take, take more information, more information, but they don't necessarily apply it to their lives. And when we go through the Word of God, it's not information. This is, this is the Word of God. This is the foundation of truth that you apply to your life. You apply to your understanding so that it helps you live for Christ and live in the context of what we're living. So we're not rushing through this, okay? And we're going to keep journeying. I, I, I say to you again, we are on session five now of the series, which might get to session 35. I don't know. We're just going to keep journeying. But for you to keep up, you must listen to the previous talks. It's, you're going to struggle to understand where we're at if you haven't followed with us on where we're going. You can get that on our podcast. You can get it on our website. You can contact the office. There's no excuse for not being able to get it. It is accessible okay, to you. You're yawning already, Tracy? Am I that boring already? Okay, that's fine. Fair enough. I'll see every yawn, as my dad used to say, as a silent scream. That's fine. Eh? Okay. So just to remind ourselves... Just click on the PowerPoint. If they just click on the screen there, Daniel, then don't touch it because it. There we go. Okay, and I've got it, I think. Okay. So we remind ourselves Galatians 3 29 says, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. We've been speaking into the promises of God that he doesn't lie. So that means that as we understand, as we've been grafted in, the Old Testament promises are now ours because we've been grafted in to the story. Okay? We're looking at the importance of these four covenants. The Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, which um, um, Errol referred to in, in Psalm 29. It, it referred to David and the covenant that I've made with him. We will get to that next week or the week after. And then obviously the new covenant we understand with what Jesus has done. One covenant doesn't supersede the other. They all build upon each other towards a covenant that Jesus set in place for us because he was called out from Genesis 3 as the seed from the very beginning it was spoken through, okay? So we remember that the Abrahamic covenant didn't only start, okay, was not only the start of the Israel story, okay, it was the start of God's redemption plan for all people. We're living in the fullness of redemption in this day and age. God made a promise to his people, and as we understand, he doesn't lie. Okay, the covenant was, okay, to Abraham, a covenant was given, Abram. Okay, the promise was made specifically to the descendants of Abraham through Isaac and then through Jacob, who then became, as we know, the change of name, Israel. And the covenant of the nation with the 12 tribes and the birthing of all that extended and went further on. Understanding that the promise and the covenant to Abraham, primarily emphasis was a very specific and literal piece of land on this earth. And we went through that last week, and that can raise a lot of um, questions in people's hearts. Okay, so it's understanding that is as if Israel were given a title deed. Okay, you, if you own your house, you have a title deed to that property. If you move out of that property, 
do you still have the title deed? It's still yours. I can own a house in Lakeside, but live in another country and town, the title deed to that property is still mine. It's a similar story. They might not be there, but it's still theirs. Okay? So if you don't, if you don't occupy, occupy, it doesn't mean you don't own it. And even if you're exiled, you take the title deed with you, the ownership is still yours. So the promise is it's ongoing, it's unchangeable, and it's everlasting. Okay? Now, this graph, some of you might have seen this. This is a very interesting graph, and I'll explain to you how it works. From the top left, you've got Adam, who was born, obviously, at zero. And the years on the left-hand side, the numbers are the years from creation, from the start of Adam. Their lifespan is the number in the middle of how long they lived. Okay, so I think it was Methuselah was the longest living man of earth on 969, the green one down the middle there. And their years from creation are the number at the end. Okay, and I want you to see something here. We often think when we talk about God being a generational God, and you, you think about, I never met my grandfather. I didn't know him. He passed away before I got to meet him. But if you look at this graph and how it plays out, look, if you look at the line of Noah, look at the amount of people, um, sorry, Adam would have spoken to in person and passed down the stories, the understanding Everything that the Lord had spoken to him about goes right the way to Noah's grandfather and Noah's father. Noah's father would have been a young man, maybe not fully understood everything, but, but Adam spoke to Lamech, he would have, he was alive, and Methuselah, who is, uh, who is uh, Noah's grandfather. Okay? You're a grandfather, Robin. You're a grandfather. You talk to your children, Right? your grandchildren. You tell them the stories of your life. They will remember those. So I want you to see here how so much information, we think, well, how much information is passed down the lines of these different years. Now I'm going to read you a passage here in Luke 3, 34. Now follow the names on the left-hand side, and it goes, and it's given the gene- genealogy all the way from, from um, Jesus backwards to Adam. But I want to read from here. From, so if you go from the bottom, it says, son of Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham, son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Ebna, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, and the son of Arphaxed, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of, the son of Mahalalil, the son of Canaan, the son of Enoch, Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the Son of God. You see how powerful when they say these genealogies is that because stories were, in those days, they didn't write the thing down and then hand them a book and say, yeah, just read this. It was imparted by stories. They were telling them what took place. Now look from Abraham backwards. Look at the amount of people that, that Abraham's father would have been able to speak to. Okay, you see the time of the flood that came through there. He would have, Abraham's father, Terah, would have been able to speak to Shem, who was Noah's son. Do you think he would have told him a few stories about what took place here? And the things that my father was doing, and everyone was laughing at him because he was making a boat and there was no rain. Okay? We serve a generational God. All these things are passed down. Now think of the generation after generation after generation. 2,000 years since Jesus, we're still speaking about it. We still, none of us, none of us lived till 900. 
which I don't know if that's unfortunate or probably fortunate, I don't know. Imagine me being around for 900 years. That'll be interesting, eh? Wow, that's a long time. But over through Moses' time, he made life was 120 years. That's how the Lord had set from Moses' time. But that's a very interesting graph to understand. From the beginning, right up to all those generations, up to Abraham, how God spoke to his people. Okay? He doesn't lie and he never forgets. You see, he's a generational God. All these guys that play through. So, <clears throat> I want to read from Hebrews 6. Now, this again confirms to us what we're speaking about, these covenants. And um, Hebrews is one of those books that when you start reading it, you actually just can't start, stop because it's just, it just unfolds the story. Okay, so now when God made a promise to Abraham and says there was no one greater than himself, he swore an oath on his own integrity to keep the promise as sure as God exists. So he swore on himself. He said, I have, have no doubt. I promise to bless you over and over and give you a son and multiply you without measure. Okay, so Abraham waited patiently in faith and succeeded in seeing the promise fulfilled. It was very common for people to swear an oath by something greater than themselves, for the oath will confirm their statement and end all disputes. Okay, so in the same way, God wanted to end all doubt and confirm even more forcefully to those who would inherit his promises. His purpose was unchangeable, so God added his vow to the promise. So it is impossible for God to lie, for we know that his promise and his vow will never change. And now we have run into, into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. This is where we find his strength and comfort, for he empowers us to seize what has already been established ahead of time, an unshakable hope. We have this certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God Himself. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat in the heavenly realm beyond the sacred threshold and where Jesus, our forerunner, has gone in before us. He is now and forever our royal priest like Melchizedek. How powerful. See, even in the New Testament, okay, it's confirming these promises. These writers are confirming you know, there's all the writers in the Bible were, were Jewish people except Luke, who wrote Acts in the book of Luke. He was a Gentile. The, the Bible was written not just to Jewish people, but like Paul wrote to the Gentiles, all the churches. But essentially the Old Testament was written by Jewish people for Jewish people. We are now partakers of the promises. That's why this writer, no one really fully knows who wrote Hebrews. Some people say Paul, but it's, not, it's dissimilar to all his writings in others. And that the confirming the promise, an anchor to our souls, that we can stand secure and affirmed what God is saying to us, okay? So the Abrahamic covenant is the foundation of which the Lord's entire plan of redemption begins. So now, if we speak about the land, it seems that the New Testament, okay, is very quiet when it comes to the land issue. There's very little reference to land. So does that mean that it doesn't mean anything now? No? Okay, so if, if the New Testament is quiet, um, being silent does not mean that it's been revoked or forgotten. Okay, a lot of the Old Testament is, or New Testament is written with an understanding of, 
or you understand this part, now this is built on upon that. So you, you know that, right? We don't just reemphasize it. Okay, the promise is still in effect. So when the disciples asked Jesus, in one act, um, chapter 1 of Acts, verse 6, and they said to him now, just before his ascension, they said to him, so um, when they'd all come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So what are they asking him? Are you now going to restore and rule as king here over the land that's been promised to us? Is, is it going to happen now? Are you going to do this now for us? Because he's obviously risen from the dead. And they're like, oh, cool, it must be all coming to plan now. Now, we, we take cue from that. Jesus didn't correct them. He didn't say, no, 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 guys, please, man. There's more to do. Nothing of that. He didn't, he, he didn't correct them about the restoration of Israel. The coming kingdom's fulfillment, okay, we understand, will be both physical and spiritual. Okay, so it's always the, it's always the kingdom stuff. is the now and the not yet. So Jesus will literally rule from that place on earth in Jerusalem, okay, but it wasn't for them. The time of the Gentiles had to come to an end so that then all Israel will be saved and fully restored. This is why Paul writes, oh, sorry, uh, Peter writes, uh, well, Luke writes in Acts 3, but Peter says these words and saying is that, and speaking about that, that Jesus must be withheld in the heavens until the restoration of all things, which includes the land which includes revival in Israel, which includes His people. Okay? All right? So when we think about time that passed by, now we go before Jesus, and Abraham, the promise is given to him, and all the fights that took place, they were in the land, and then the Assyrians and the Babylonians came, and they had to be exiled out of the land. Didn't mean the land wasn't theirs. They then came back into the land, and then A.D. 70... When they destroyed Jerusalem again, there was again an exit from the land. It doesn't mean the promise has been revoked. And because the New Testament is silent on it, doesn't mean it's, oh, well, it's not relevant for today. And that's the thing I was saying last week about people want to make it all spiritual. Okay, and it's not actually a physical thing that's going to take place. Jesus is going to be on the earth physically as a human, <laughs> ruling, but the Son of God ruling over us, His people, after the end, things have taken place, okay? All right, so we understand here the Mosaic Covenant, okay, with the Abrahamic Covenant given through Abraham was unconditional, unilateral, and unchangeable. The Mosaic Covenant given to Moses was conditional and bilateral. Unilateral means one. It's one way. God says, I will, I will give this to you. Bilateral means like bicycle, two ways. So if you do this, which means these words, from I will do this, says God, it goes to if you, then I. Okay? It, it came with conditions to Israel. So there were conditions placed upon in Israel's ability and, um, to inhabit and physically possess the land. There was a condition placed upon them to obey God. But still, that does not nullify the promise or cancel the fulfillment. Israel's temporary um, loss of possession never meant they lost the promise of the steward ownership. Okay, to God. Now I want to read some more passages here. Okay, out of Galatians. Again, another passage. Now remember, um, the promise given to Abraham, you go 400 years later and plus 
the promise is now given to Moses through the Mosaic Covenant. God is never in a hurry. 430 years is a long time. Okay? Abraham as the forefather was a long, long time ago, but the promise still stands. So we, I think of that song, your promise still stands, great is your faithfulness. Great is your faith. Think of the other song I was thinking about that um, faithful you are, faithful you are, all your promises are yes and amen. You see those songs, that's why when we sing them, we just feel such depth in them because it's to the God of a thousand generations. It's not just, oh, now he's nice to us. Now he's been that same God for thousands and thousands of years. That's why faithfulness, when we sing about, it means something to us. Okay, so now let's read this Galatians. It says, remember the royal proclamation God spoke over Abraham and to Abraham's child. And God said to his promises, we were made to, to, um, to pass unto Abraham's child, not children. Okay, the, the whole point of this, it's singular. It was leading up to one person. The Messiah. Okay? That's the whole point of the promise. And who is this child? Is is the son of promise. Christ himself. This means that the covenant between God and Abraham was fulfilled in Messiah and cannot be altered. Yet the written law was not even given to Moses until 430 years after God had signed his contract with Abraham. Okay? The law then doesn't supersede the promise since the royal proclamation was given before the law. Now we're going to speak a little about the law. That's the Mosaic Covenant. If that were the case, it would have been nullified, it would have nullified what God said to Abraham. We receive all the promises because of the promise one, not because we keep the law. Okay? Why then was the law given at all? It was given alongside the promise, we've spoken about that, Abraham, to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the seed, meaning Messiah, the, the child who was promised. And when God gave the law, He first gave it to angels, then He gave it to Moses, His mediator, who then gave it to the people. <clears throat> now a mediator does not represent just one party alone, but God fulfilled it all by Himself. Since that's true, should we consider the written law to be contrary to the promise of new life? How absurd. Truly, if there was a law that we could keep, which would, uh, which would give us new life, then our salvation would come by law-keeping. You're tracking it. This important stuff, this. But the Scriptures make it clear that the whole world is imprisoned by sin. This was so the promise would be given through faith to the people who believe in Jesus Christ. These are powerful words. I really encourage you to go and re- read these scriptures for yourselves. And, and, and again, this is what Paul writes in Romans 7. He's speaking about the, the reason for the law. So, uh, so what should we say about this? He's saying, am I suggesting that the law is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that gave us the clear definition of sin. For example, when the law said, do not covet, it, it, it became the catalyst to see how wrong it was for me to crave what belongs to someone else. It was through God's commandment that sin was awakened in me and built its base of operation within me to stir up every kind of wrong desire. For in the absence of the law, sin hides dormant. Okay, go and read Romans 7. Where Paul speaks stuff. Well, why did the why what the law? The law was here to actually show us our shortcomings. 
and to show that you cannot do this in your own strength. Your works will never, ever bring you salvation. But the Lord allowed that to happen for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So they could lead people to the end of themselves. And then Messiah came. The truth, the way, the understanding. So let's just give some context to the law that I want to read some passages here. So now remembering, okay, this is 430 years later, as Paul says there in Galatians, that now this is given to God on Mount Sinai to Moses. Okay, now they're out of slavery. They've been wandering in the desert. But the first part of their journey was obviously crossing the Red Sea and God's miracle of opening up for them. And they wandered, and they came, to, they came to the place of Mount Sinai, which we now understand was 50 days from Passover. So it was Pentecost. The word 50, it means Pentecost. That was the same time the law was given. That's why I mean, next year after Passover, we go 50 days, we celebrate Pentecost, because it's the day the Holy Spirit came and poured out into His people. The Holy Spirit now that resides inside of us. This was a shadow Okay, of what Moses was experiencing here on the mountain before God. Okay, so Exodus 20, we'll go through this, is, is where the Ten Commandments are essentially given to Moses and given to God's people. Laws and statutes were set in place in love as a guide, but always pointing to the Messiah. If you read through the book of Exodus, it goes, Moses is up on the mountain, he's there before God, there's lightning, there's trumpets, there's clouds of smoke. There's all sorts. God is speaking to him. This is where it says he spoke to him face to face. Okay, that's where the whole teaching of that understanding of Enopian, that place before God's throne that Moses was drawn to and God was pouring out all what he wanted to as the mediator for his people. He was up there so long and right through to Exodus 31, what are the people doing down below? Aaron's like worried because the people are moaning. It's taking so long. Where's this guy? Where's our leader? He takes all their jewelry and they build a golden calf. And they start worshipping something else. How quickly does it take for us to forget the promises? Forget what God has said? Well, 430 years is a long time. Maybe they had forgotten them a little bit. But He had just done miracles for them. Leading them out of slavery into a place of freedom. That they can now walk and be God's people. They forgot. And I love what Moses does is he melts all the gold, he crushes it to a fine powder, then makes them drink it all. Crikey, hey? Eh? Maybe that's why we find gold in rivers now. Is that maybe why? Hey? Eh? Okay, and so Moses comes down with his two tablets. Okay, it wasn't five on each. It was one for you and one for me, God said. Okay, ten on each. One was going to go into the Ark of the Covenant. The other one was the people. Okay. And he, this is where Moses smashed the tablets. It says, on, it says in Exodus 34, verse 10, and he said, Behold, now this is a journey. Now God's saying to Moses, all the up and down with his people, Behold, I'm making a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels, such as not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all people among you, are, you, are, uh, among you are, shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. He still keeps saying, just trust me, believe in me, just believe in me. He keeps reiterating, I'm a good father, a good God to you. But the, the people keep forgetting. Now, I want to take and pick up the story from 40 years later. Now, that's 50 days into the wilderness. They're on the mountain. They receive all 
see this all playing out. 3,000 die around that time because they touched the edge of the mountain. They weren't supposed to. What happened at Pentecost? 3,000 were added. Okay, it's the shadow of what will come. Death, life. Okay, you see that all playing out all the time. But I want to I pick up from the book of Deuteronomy. Because the book of Deuteronomy is, is a, again a reminder for the people, but it's now 40 years later of that moment on the mountain where Moses was before God. And now what the book of Deuteronomy is, is basically Moses standing before the people of Israel and he reads the law and the statutes and saying, obey, obey the Lord. But he, but he, <laughs> and it, it, what he says to him is quite, quite, quite harsh. When you, when you hear what God's saying because he's trying to fulfill something here. So Deuteronomy is a solemn call to love and obey the one true God. There are blessings for faithfulness and curses for unfaithfulness. So he reminds them of their murmuring in their tents, moaning for 40 years now. This is not 50 days, we've got it for 40 years. Moaning, whining up and down through this. Moses, you know, water from the rock. The, the miracles of manna, quail on a Sabbath. God constantly just providing for His people. But 40 years in reading it, but it's a long time. It's a long time. I'm 46. I've been around a while. It's taken me a while to get here. Okay? And there's been ups and downs. But who's proved Himself faithful and strong? Through all of it is the Almighty God. Through all of our lives. We all have things that we go through. Okay? Reminds them. And because of that, this generation, you're not going to enter the promised land. Now think of the effects of that. This promise that they lived on from Abraham from 470 years ago. Sorry, there's a generation that are not going to attain this promise because of your disobedience. God was setting an order for His people. Okay, but He said Caleb and Joshua will enter the land. And then Deuteronomy starts by speaking of their victories over the king of Sion, the king of Og. And Moses is told that he can't, he can see the promised land, but he can't enter it. This is Deuteronomy 3.26. But the Lord was angry with me. Now he's reciting. I was talking to God, and he's telling the people now, because he was angry with me because of you. It would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough from you. Do not speak to me on this matter again. I've said that to my kids a few times. I'm not talking about this again. I've asked you before. Don't leave your dishes in your bedroom. I'm not talking about this matter again. Or else I'll put you in the dishwasher. <laughs> okay? It's a father. Now, did he, did, did he, not, did he not love Moses? Did he, of course he loved him. But he's like, what we're setting in place here, I need a people who are obedient. And there's a generation that will have to pass before you can see an entering to this place. In chapter 4, Moses commands the people to obedience, okay? And verse 1 of, 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 of chapter 4 starts like this, and it says, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you, and do them that you may live and go and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God, the God of your fathers is giving you. And he goes on to say in verse 12, Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire, you heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he, he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules, 
that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. This is a big moment for the people of Israel. That promise from 470 years ago now is coming to fulfillment. He's going to get them to cross over. And it says in verse 31 of chapter 4, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that He swore to them. So what are we reiterating here? We're building up to this place of these commandments that are given to God's people, not out of, listen to me, it's out of love. Yes, the guide. Another way for saying the Torah and the law is actually the way. Follow the way. What were the believers in the new covenant called? They were called Christians, but they were followers of the way. Okay, the story it unfolds, it was a shadow of what was to come. Follow the way. The way of life, the way of our God. So, I want to read this passage to you. This is out of Deuteronomy now. Okay, this is Deuteronomy 5. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today. And you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all, uh, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time. He was the mediator to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up to the mountain. And he said, now I want to give you a little test before we go to the next part. I'm going to give you a minute or two. See in your own mind if you can remember what the Ten Commandments are. Okay, so we know the obvious, do not steal, do not murder. See if you can, you, you can remember all ten. Okay. If you were here on the 13th of January, 2013, I did exactly the same thing. Nearly ten years ago. Okay, think about it. Can you remember? See if you get all ten. People counting. Seven. What's that ninth one? What is that ninth one? Okay. You got it, Trace. Done it. She's talking to Luke. She's fine. Let's read on. He got twenty. He got twenty commandments. You kept reading, reading. There are a lot of laws. Let's read. I am the Lord your God who brought you. Now remember, this is not on Mount Sinai. This is 40 years later. He's now reiterating what's been said. He's reminding them, knowing I'm not going with you guys. Okay? And, and what did they have with them when they left Egypt? They had Joseph's bones. So that he would be buried in the land. See how the promise? See? All the way through, and Moses knowing, I'm going to pass before I go with you. But, listen to me, hear me. The, the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness, or anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow to them, or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, 
but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who keep me and love my com- and keep my commandments. So we've got one or two or three there. You shall not take the name of your Lord God in vain, for the Lord God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. I was talking with Percy, and a lot of you guys know Percy by now. And you go up to Zambia, there are these Seventh-day Adventists, that the, the main thing for them is the Sabbath. And all they talk to you about is the Sabbath. Are you obeying the Sabbath? Are you, and so it becomes a bit of a conversation that you can't argue with the guys, but they're, they, they're not free. They're bound by this fourth commandment. And, and Percy was like, oh God, you've got to help me now. I've got a meeting with these guys tomorrow. What am I going to say to them? What am I going to say to them? Because it just becomes an argument and you get nowhere. And he tells God, say to them, tell them, I'm still trying to get the first three commandments right before I try the fourth one. <laughs> so they're like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that's good. And they couldn't talk about it, okay? Because they're going by works, okay? It's by grace that we do this, Okay? Um, on it you shall do not work, or your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or your sojourner who is in your gates, that your male servant, your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. When you read through the Old Testament, think how many times you'll see those words, mighty hand and outstretched arm. It proves how, how mighty our God is. Therefore, the Lord your God has com- God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Fourth, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that you, it, may, it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. As Paul reiterates in the New Testament, it's the only commandment with a promise linked to it. Obey your parents and watch what God will do as He honors you. Okay? Um, Oh, no, 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 your God given you. You shall not murder. And you shall not commit adultery. And you shall not steal. And you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Wow. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness with a loud voice. And he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. Okay. It's... it's um, See, the reality is here, and I know some of your lives, not all of you, but the reality is most of us have broken the Ten Commandments at some point, okay? And there's a solemnness in the room because you realize we can't attain it, right? You cannot do this in your own strength. You cannot do it by works. And I'm going to leave it hanging there because we've got to speak about the new covenant thing, you see? See the power of that? This is why the law came to expose the sin. 
that's lying dormant, as he writes in Galatians and Romans. It was lying dormant in you, but because of this law now, now we can see what's where you've stepped out of line. It's to help you. And if you read through Leviticus and you read through Numbers, it's painstakingly difficult. Leviticus is the most the hardest book to read in the Bible. Because it's, it's painful. It's like all this. If you do this and then you, you murder your, your neighbor by mistake. Jeebus. I mean, I, by mistake. I mean, I might reverse over the gun. Bam, that's a mistake, right? <laughs> Boom. Sorry, buddy. Just I didn't do that intentionally. But Jesus, it's going to be easier now, right? No. Okay. But God made way. He built cities of refuge for people. All sorts. So if you did this, then you go and live there until you're clean. And then you come back. And there was always a plan to be made. But it always left them short. This, this is the Mosaic Covenant given to God's people. And I'm going to just speak a few things about the law. Now remember, when they arrived in Egypt through Joseph, there were only 70 of them arriving in this place because there was a famine in the land. When they left, there were millions of them. At that point, there is some sort of understanding, hey, look at the promise starting to be fulfilled here. Because they said to Abram, that so the stars are in the sky, so will your descendants be. Look how many there are of us. It was real to them. God started to fulfill the promises. Look, there were only 70 of us that arrived, but look how many we are now. We're going to the land. You see how it all plays out, the promise in people's hearts. Okay? The Abrahamic covenant with the Mosaic covenant, okay, we must understand, speaking about the law now, is not generalized into one old covenant. Okay, and we have said that a lot, but just to define this, okay? The newest, as I said, doesn't mean it supersedes the old. Jesus came and said, I haven't come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. Because everything was just a shadow of what was going to come. So what we can say about the Mosaic Covenant, and I'll speak more into this in the weeks to come, is that the requirements of righteousness in the Mosaic Covenant are obsolete. The Mosaic Covenant is not obsolete. The requirements, and this is we'll go into in the weeks to come, he speaks, he says those words in Hebrews. The requirements are now obsolete because Jesus superseded that. The requirements, but it still stands because Jeremiah prophesied this hundreds of years before, the law will now be written on your hearts. People know when they've done wrong. You, you know that. that. There's so much in, our, in, in the New, New Testament that speaks about you know, people's consciences are seared. And they don't realize their wrongdoing. And their sin just keeps pulling them deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. So it's just some more thoughts on the law. And you see, it's not, we're not law-based. We're grace-motivated by what God has done. But there's some understandings about the law which is very important to understand. Many nations, their foundation is built upon this understanding of the law. Okay? So some believe, some don't believe in them. Um, and the aspect, uh, as they accept the maker, but not the maker's instructions. Okay? But the reality is, if we all abide it to these ten things, how beautiful will the world be? Think about it. Like Steve Morris, I remember you know, preaching years ago. And someone asked, why is there so much trouble in the world? Oh, it's a small little word with three letters called sin. <laughs> We're disobeying that. But you can't do it in your own strength. Okay? That's why Jesus came. But I let it hang. Feel the pain of that a little bit. Okay, so instead of recovering them, we need to modify them. That's what people are saying. Let's modify these Ten Commandments. Okay, so when you com commit adultery, basically don't get caught. 
That's what, that's what happens today until he gets caught. Uh, when you covet, only covet what you could never afford. Okay? We twist it just so it works for me. Okay? Um, obsolete. They're saying it's obsolete. So the new world needs a new ethic. No, they're absolute. Okay? So this in this day of democracy, so we can't be told what to do, so they become the ten suggestions. Okay? And just, just get rid of them, man. They, they, they're primitive. They are, they, are, they are like so old time. What, can you tell me what happened in the last three weeks? On Mount Sinai. Have you been following the news? What happened? Okay. The Pope, I think he was there. Okay. Multi-faith. All guys, Islamic guys. They've come up with a new Ten Commandments. Climate control commandments. What, what, are they, what are they doing? What are they trying to say by saying that? We don't need this God of yours, this God of Israel. We know far better. Don't come with your antiquated, thousands of year old religion. This is a new world now. Okay, there's a new order. See all the language out. See, it fits in perfectly. Our God never changes. Okay, these ten, those on the down mountain, they're ten suggestions. And my whole thing with climate change is that the Bible actually tells us a lot in Matthew about the weather patterns that are going to be changing near the end times. Don't get caught up in the narrative of the world. Follow the narrative of the Word of God. Then you can listen to them. But most of these people, what happens is Psalm 2. What's God doing? He's laughing. Okay? Because they don't get it. They will not humble themselves to Him. They will not bow to him. Okay, he's not an ogre sitting in heaven going, you've obeyed these laws and rules. His only begotten son came and paid a price that we've all tasted of the goodness of that. We're not bound by these. They're written now on our hearts. So if you have murdered somebody, if you have committed adultery, if you have stolen, there's a way of redemption for you. The penalty now of your sin is not death. That's the power of the new covenant. That people sit behind the veil and they accuse and they blame. And the narrative of this world, you can see, is so loud. What did I say weeks ago here before? What do we pray for when we're believing for God? Oh God, we're asking of you. It is that we will stand in this day and this this hour. We will not compromise to the foundations of our truth that we have in our word of God. Amen? Amen. No compromise. But human nature stays the same throughout time. That's why the Bible is relevant through all time. Some truths about the law. The first four deal with our behavior towards God. Okay? The numbers five to nine deal with our behavior towards people. Well, that's funny, eh? Righteousness. <laughs> Justice. We've been there before, eh? There we go. And the last one speaks about dealing with our thoughts. Okay? So when Moses came down the mountain, it depicts him carrying, like I said to you, it's not five on each, it was ten, written on both stuff. Okay, the treaty set up between the parties. God is at the core of these commandments in the essence of who he is. The law is God. Okay, and God is the law. We cannot remove him from that. Okay, we need to see the Father's loving heart behind us. So it's not a set of rules that you have to obey and to kind of be obedient to. It's not the do's and don'ts of the Bible. Okay, so for example, if I'm... I have to now 
drive from here home. Okay? There are certain rules that are going to have to follow, like a stop street and a traffic light. I obey the rules as I go home, and I will get there accordingly. Okay? So it's like driving, it's not getting from A to B within the driven rules. Okay? The rules are there. They're good, and they're there to keep us safe. They're there to help us. They're there to guide us so that we all follow a pattern that actually gives us order on the roads. So 50% of the time, we've got order on our roads. Because of, you're not playing within the lines here. Just do your own thing. Lawlessness. But then on the ex- extreme of that, you've got so much control on the other side. People are fearfully bound. But that's why people love living in Africa and South Africa, because we're just a bit loose with the rules. Just, it's fine. You can just pause and stop you and go. It's fine. And then you say to the cop, pulls you over. You didn't stop. He said, prove it. Prove that it didn't stop. I saw you. No, well, prove it. You know? You start arguing. Exactly. <laughs> I actually said to my dad yesterday with the rugby, you see rules. Rugby, unfortunately, now is like schoolmaster with a referee. <laughs> Naughty. Red card. One of the oaks should one day say, he gives him a yellow card, and he just says, I'm not going off. I'm not. And his whole team says, he's not going. You were wrong. He's not going off. What, what is he going to do? What's going to happen? Well, I'm not, we're not, we're not, no, he's not going off. He's staying on the field. Well, he has to go. No, I'm not going. Hey, that is the tone of the world today. No, I won't obey. No, don't tell me what to do. No, it's about submission. And just submit. And this is God's order for us. It's given as a foundation to all these people years and years and years ago. But we live in the fulfillment of it. Okay, so fundamentally Christian, Christianity is not about, is, it is about staying in right relationship with God. Okay, we, we need to see the joy in the law, not going through, okay, number one, number two, stuck on number four. Did you obey the Sabbath? You're working on the Sabbath. What are you doing? It's a heart issue now. Okay? That's why we never check up on you with your attendance to church. There are communities that do that. Okay? Which means it's a little bit law-bound. If your heart is not invested, that's your position. If your heart is invested and you are coming in knowing and loving Almighty God, His grace is upon you, you will get as much as you give. That's the power of it now. It's really on, on you to press into what Jesus has done for us. So when we read Proverbs 7, 3, it says, it says, speaks about the law. Write them on the tablets of your heart. Romans 2, 15 says, the law now has been written on your hearts. Okay? So the Abrahamic covenant still stands today. It's unilateral. He said it. It's going to take place. Think of... How those years, I think it was 586 through Nebuchadnezzar, I think that we, Babylon, Babylon came and they destroyed Jerusalem. For hundreds of years, they were put back in there. 70 AD, they came and destroyed Jerusalem, flattened it to the ground. 1948 was the next time that the Jewish people were recognized and be able to come into the land. Just think of, think of the story from thousands of years ago. And the fulfillment of it, and we've seen that in our lifetime. God's up to something. There's things happening. There's things taking place in our day. But it's unilateral. He said it. He will promise to keep it. The Mosaic Covenant, which we've read a lot of here today, is the shadow. And it left us hanging a little bit here. I fall short, eh? These things, they're difficult to attain. Man, but by the grace of God, we do attain them. 
Because he's not going to come back and look at your performance. He's going to look for faith. For those who believe. Those who trusted him. And I know a lot of your lives, it's not plain sailing. And it's, it's challenging. But through the ups and downs, what do we know? The grace of God to us. His goodness never changes. He's a God that won't lie. But through all these ups and downs, through all these times and seasons that we go through in our lives, we can trust in His faithfulness to us because the promise has been setting in place and Jesus is the fulfillment of this Mosaic covenant and all that's taking place. That's why the requirements of the law are obsolete. It still stands, but now you stand in the fullness of His covenant. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. And we pray. I just want to remind you again that Zeta and her team, as uh, Claire said beautifully, if you're wanting prayer, they'll be up front after the meeting to pray with you along any lines of stuff. But come in faith. Don't come begging. Come in faith, asking God. Let's open our hearts to Him. Hallelujah. Mighty God. Mighty God. The, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob still stands today. Your promises to us are yes and amen. And we can hold on to these truths, knowing, Lord Jesus, that you have come to fulfill all of this. We know in our hearts we fall way short of the requirements of this mosaic understanding and law. But Jesus, you've come. And we thank you now that we live in the fullness of that. I release over your heart's grace to walk in the power of his love, to walk in the power of his grace that's been poured out to you, that you know in your own works you will never be righteous. But because of this robe that Claire spoke about, or there was a word here that Christine said about these robes of righteousness that have been given to you, that is who you are. That is the fullness that you operate. You're not bound by the old system. You walk in the new. And we'll speak into that over the next coming weeks. So Jesus, we exalt you. We thank you that you've set us free. Because where, you the, where freedom is, how does that verse go? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we are not bound by law. We are bound by grace and who you are to us. So we exalt you, mighty and King Jesus. Amen and amen and amen.